Hey, Warriors, I want to let you know about an exciting way you can help us share Christ and help protect children from perverse ideologies in Italy. Yes, I said Italy. By God's grace, our latest documentary film, The Mind Polluters, continues reaching people all over the world and is having a tremendous impact in educating and motivating communities to take action in protecting the innocence of children. An Italian dub of the film is needed to break through the language barrier to help our brothers and sisters in Christ make a significant impact in their communities. Learn more about this need and share your support at fearlessfeatures.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind the scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we talk about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective. I'm Amber Archer, half of the Fearless team, and joining me is my husband, director, author, speaker, Mark Archer. Happy premise number two. There is no giant foot trying to squash me. <laughs> We're a husband and wife filmmaking team on a mission to educate, motivate, and inspire others to stand firm in the Lord in their communities. You can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. It's also a great place to make that one-time or monthly donation to help us break through the censorship that so often happens when sharing truth in today's culture. Again, that's fearlessfeatures.org to learn more and share your support. You're everyone's problem. That's right. And so today we're going to carry on and continue on with talking about the weaponization of CPS. Yes. You want to remind everybody what last week was in case they missed it? Sure. So last week we talked about, uh, yeah, the case of Danielle Jurinsky out in um, Colorado and the, uh, uh, the lesbian CPS worker who fabricated a false claim against her because Danielle had said something uh, expressed her opinion about the lesbian CPS workers' lover, who, who happens to be, be happened to be the police chief, right? And mm. so this uh, woman fabricated a claim against this woman, accusing her of molesting her own son, and uh, tried to take her child away. And then it exposed that this woman had done this to something like forty other families. Yeah. She used to hit on moms, uh, and if they refused her advances, then she would take her, their children from her, from them, from them. So yeah, so we'll be watching that case and seeing what happens there. And then after that, in the second half of the show, we uh, heard from former uh, Georgia State Senator Nancy Schaefer. We're going to talk more about her later on in this show too. So, but you have. Some but good I stuff have, today. yeah, you know, I, I I sat down and we've talked to uh, child protective service workers mm-hmm. and you know interviewed them and under you know just kind of getting a, a, a broad scope and view of what CPS really is and what they do. And so th- the more I got to thinking about it, I thought, where did this all originate from? Mm-hmm. And so I had to do a little research on where child protective services even began in our country. And I, what I found was pretty interesting. So I'm going to share it with everybody. I found several, many, many articles on the history of CPS. However, this one really stuck out to me. Um, this this girl, uh, Rachel Prebish, Prebish or something. I'm going to leave a link for you guys. You can go. Lots of um, resources on her endnotes and um, just things that you can look up yourself. But so a history of child welfare in the United States, and I'm just going to read sections of this just to 
kind of give everybody an overview. So the United States child welfare system varies according to state, but a common objective everywhere is the goal to enhance families' abilities to care for their children. Additionally, the child welfare system encompasses foster care and adoption. Foster care is often meant to fill a gap in a child's life when parents are unable to care for them due to abuse or neglect. And according to a 2018 statistic, there are approximately 437,000 children waiting in the foster care system. Many of those children enter adulthood without a family. Now, statistics regarding foster care outcomes are grim. Research research suggests that between 11% and 36% of children who, quote, age out of foster care become homeless during the process. And those children are at greater risk of problems like mental illness and addiction. You know, and when I heard that, Mm -hmm. and the first thing I thought is, I I mean, it's very, very sad, but um, we've worked with our local rescue mission many times. And it really makes me wonder how many of the people in there um, were kids who were in foster care and aged out. A lot of them, actually, because I, I remember. Several that we interviewed. <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember their stories. Yeah, I remember. And, you know, again, you can't paint with a with a broad brush over these things. But listen, there there is a real problem mm-hmm. with our child protective services uh, in this country and what we what we heard well I'll let you keep going yes yeah. so despite over a century of organized child welfare services for families and children still face the challenges of system failures and complex individual needs the social work profession can benefit from casting a glance at the history of the child welfare system okay here's where it gets really interesting all right there has always been some form of care for children in the United States, but organized child welfare did not exist before 1875. Prior to the mid-1800s, many impoverished children were taken into apprenticeships, but most often they received institutional care. An insurgence of immigrants and a rise in dangerous factory work in the mid-1800s created not only a class of poor children, but also one that was at risk of illness and injury in the factory industry. Children whose mothers worked long hours were also at a higher risk of delinquency. At that time, society was concerned that the next generation ought to possess ideal characteristic traits. And as such, a growing child welfare movement could function as a form of social control. Mm -hmm. Organized child welfare in the United States began with the New York Children's Aid Society, which was founded in 1853 by Charles Loring Brace. This, quote, placing out program, which mandate, I'm sorry, which matched children to families who were intended to meet their physical needs as well as provide nurturance and the love of a family is considered to be the beginning of the foster care. The Children's Aid Society is most remembered for its orphan trains, which moved poor children with or without parents from New York to the countryside. The orphan train ran until 1929. The orphan train? The orphan train. I didn't look into any more of that, but... Why have I never heard of this? I don't know. (sighs) Maybe that's next week's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, when I I started reading this, and as I go on here, um, they'll start talking about, you know, the removal of children. Mm -hmm. uh, Not... Just because they were poor, they were removing children, right? Which is still happening. Which is still happening, Mm -hmm. but now... You see this if you don't affirm these kids into right. this alternate identity that I mean it's it's so sick. It's it's really the thing that you got to remember in all of this is in our current state of society 
you know, even even today, I would guarantee you can go and you can look at the headlines and you'll find examples of this. Who is defining abuse? Right. And, and, and they talk about it here in this. So throughout the mid to late 1800s, the crux of child welfare movement became child rescue, an emphasis shaped by Brace and his organization. However, Brace's work often neglected screening or follow up on the child's situation with their new family. Nevertheless, a mindset grew that children needed nurturing, a philosophy that is still widely accepted in the United States. In 1874, child abuse entered the national consciousness with the case of Mary Ellen Wilson, a girl who was harshly abused by her guardians. At this point, there was no such thing as child protective services, and Mary Ellen's rescuer relied on the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and its influential founder, Henry Berg, to form a case to save Mary Ellen. In response to this situation, in 1875, the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children was formed, the, organi- the first organization devoted solely to child protection. At this point, child welfare remained charitable. It was not connected to the government. Mm-hmm. So these are, these are separate entities who are coming in and helping. Right. This is, uh, you know, basically like rescue missions being right. set up, but they were always established by religious organizations, churches. I mean, when you for just the most part. right. When you just said rescue missions, it, it made me think of the, um, uh, you know, the, we've attended so many of them, the ones who rescue the girls and boys mm-hmm. out of, um, sex slavery. Oh yeah. And you know, those are all still charitable. Are there any government organizations that are in charge of that. That are rescuing children out. Right. No, and in fact, by the time we're done with this series, I think we will definitively make the case that our federal government, in cahoots with many state and local governments, are actually dealing in trafficked children. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much money to be made. We'll talk about this in in future podcasts, but there is, this is a lucrative business. Mm Mm-hmm. So moving on here, in 1909, Theodore Roosevelt and child welfare leaders held the White House Conference in support of the Mother's Pension Movement, which was the predecessor of welfare as we know it. This movement advocated that children should not be removed from their homes solely due to poverty. Indeed, the pensions resulting from this conference were only available. Now, this is interesting, but this is the era in which we lived. And this is 1909. Um, only available to widowed and primarily white mothers, not to women of color, mothers with children born out of wedlock, divorced, or abandoned mothers. Not to women of color. Right. So, Well, this is the 20s, right? So we're still well, in... Well, yeah, we're 1909. Right. So, okay. So we're still in... Uh, so slavery has ended, but we're still a completely segregated society. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and think about, and it says children born out of wedlock, divorced or abandoned mothers. Mm-hmm. So even then, because it was such a sin yeah. to, to have children out of wedlock during this time, it was a, it was a social, uh, socially unacceptable still. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the early 20th century saw the 1912 creation of the federal children's bureau, which dealt with investigating matters related to children and maternal well-being and in 1921 the shepherd towner act uh, this was the first major federal law in the united states focusing on infant and maternal health and it provided money for health services for mothers and babies we still have similar things to that today Mm 
however, it was during the Great Depression and the New Deal that the federal government took on a new role in welfare spending. For the first time, charity organizations were no longer the main source of welfare, and the federal government provided fin- financial relief for families in need. Child welfare has continually revised what is normally the acceptable treatment of children. I found that statement very interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> Continually revised by Uh bureaucrats. Uh Mm -hmm. In the middle of the 20th century, child abuse factored more prominently in the national consciousness with the work of John Caffey, who revealed the abusive origins of some childhood injuries. In 1962, Henry Kemp coined the term battered child syndrome, further drawing national attention to child abuse. Abuse. Federal Children's Bureau meetings were held in response, and this led to the formation of the first child abuse reporting laws. So that, that was 1962. Okay. By 1967, all states had enacted such legislation. Okay. Uh-huh. So and the, so we're ta- the the child uh, abuse reporting laws we're talking about uh, for medical providers and school teachers. Basically, if you see mm-hmm. these things, you, the battered child yeah, syndrome, you must report it. Yeah. And I don't think anybody will argue that this is that this, A bad was, thing. this was poorly intentioned. Mm-mm. This is, you know, you, you're trying to, I, I believe that most of this was started off with good intentions. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, there are children being abused. Absolutely are. Absolutely are. So it's, you know, they're casting a wider net to be able to filter more of these out. Okay. Yeah. So the 1970s and beyond saw an abundance of policy changes, which focused on the adoption process for families and safety. Shifts in fostering and adoption legislature included the 1980 Adoption Assistance in Child Welfare Act, the 1994 Multi-Ethnic Placement Act, and the 1997 Adoption and Safe Families Act. Mm -hmm. Throughout the early 2000s, growth occurred in kinship adoptions and legally permanent kinship guardianships. What was the last one, the 1997? Uh, Adoption and Safe Families Act. Okay, so that was the one that was referenced by... Senator Schaefer mm. in her talk last week. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it goes on here. The next section is the importance of the problem. Between uh, 2018 and 2021, the number of children trapped in the child welfare system totaled around 424,000 to 430,000. Meanwhile, the number of children waiting for adoption from the U.S. foster care system has increased from 108,000 children in 2010 to 122,000 children in 2019. Because data is always, you know, years behind. Uh, Research clearly shows that foster children are at risk of a myriad of problems later in life. Of the 17,884 youth who aged out of the foster care system in 2018, only about 58% graduated high school by the age of 19, and only one-fifth of these former foster children will have a high school diploma or GED by the age of 26. Additionally, it is known that by age 26, 20% of youth who have aged out of foster care will have become homeless. 20%. 20% of kids who age out of foster care become homeless. Can you imagine just feeling abandoned your whole life? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just waiting. and I mean, well, I, uh, I could see how that shapes you. Absolutely does. And, you know, if when you consider, and again, I'm not, 
I'm not trying to come down on, on people who foster children, but the truth is that unless they're your children, there's the likelihood of, of their, that familial bond really being there and holding is, is it's not, not great compared to if they're actually your kids, right? So once they're done with high school, they're aged out, they can leave. And I, most of these kids, I would think they feel displaced anyway. Mm. So they do, they, they don't have that extra support. I mean, you need the support of your family all the way through your life. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So pertinent child welfare policies, which have taken shape over the past 150 years, have grappled with children's needs and their safety. Early child welfare activities were primarily devoted to the growth of organizations and found the basis of the system that we know today. The Shepherd Towner Act established federal money for health services for mothers and babies. Out of this act came an incredibly well-organized informational campaign uh, for the purpose of which was to improve the health of mothers and their babies. Roosevelt's New Deal and its aid to dependent children was significant because it marked the shift away from charity welfare and established the beginning of federal welfare for children and families. And in a major step, all states, and we already talked about that, all states had enacted it, uh, child abuse laws in 1967. And throughout the 70s, the Child Protective System had begun to recognize a problem then of sexual abuse. I mean, right. so it just, as it continued on, more things began being flagged, which right. they should. I mean, right. uh, let me just say, children should not be being sexually abused mm-hmm. in in a what's supposed to be safe home. Are we talking about their real home or the foster home? No, the foster home. Yeah, because the foster home, the, the I forget what it, the statistic is, that they're something like six times more likely to be sexually abused mm-hmm. in foster care. Well, and it's interesting, it says uh, by 1997, the prevailing ad- attitude about where children belong had shifted away from the importance of the birth family as can be seen by the Adoption for Safe Families Act, uh, this piece of legislation focused on the safety of children, primarily easing the path to removing children from their natural families, setting stricter and faster timelines towards adoption, and creating financial incentives for states to increase their adoption numbers. Uh At the same time, this created difficulties for birth parents who wanted to keep their children but were serving long prison sentences or facing other custody challenges. So it it really... It really begs the question, and I think as as Christians, especially because we need to be we need to be upstream of culture, not downstream of it, and we need to think through these questions because um, this has become something that has affected every aspect of life, and certainly mm-hmm. within the church. And you certainly have. I mean, you certainly. I mean, even in our even in our church, you certainly have. Uh, families who are fostering, mm-hmm. families who are there as safe families, mm-hmm. um, short-term fostering, basically, yep. like mm-hmm. oh, a couple weeks. You have a month. we have many, many adoptive families. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a huge growing need, right? But but it begs the question of how much of it is a growing, a real growing need, and how much of it is a manufactured need. 
because as we'll see in the coming weeks, the financial incentives for CPS taking children, removing children from the home, CPS gets paid for that. Yeah, and it's it's actually very horrific. Um, when I started researching this, and if you go on YouTube mm-hmm. and just type in something like, what do I do if CPS comes to my door? Yeah. I mean, I was shocked. Yeah. I absolutely blown away at the number of people reporting their um, situation mm-hmm. on YouTube to try to get exposure yeah. to help them. Yeah. Um, so there were kind of, there were kind of like a four parts to if CPS shows up your door. Okay. So, I mean, I hope this never happens to anybody who's listening, but okay. if CPS comes to your door, first of all, it, um, and listen, I'm no legal expert, but I've watched several of these now mm-hmm. and they're all saying the same thing. One, do not let CPS into your home. Right. Like don't even, don't let them in. You don't even have to answer the door. It's just, it's it's like dealing with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You do not. You are under no obligation unless they show up with a warrant. You're well, under no obligation to let them in. Right. And the interesting thing what what I learned through this was they said even if the CPS worker comes with law enforcement, mm-hmm. they said you call law enforcement. You call nine one one yourself so that there is another party there on your behalf because that officer who is with CPS is not there on your behalf. They are there with the CPS worker. Right. And so what, what these attorneys were saying was you stop and you call 911, you document everything and you have a police officer come that you have called Right. because then have this, you request and make sure the CPS worker is not allowed to come into your home. It's only the two officers who will come in and do the child welfare check on the children. Well, and it's interesting too. This is, uh, you know, I'm I'm Mr. Security, and this is a good, you know, a couple years ago, we added we we added a ring doorbell, mm-hmm. right? We have lots of them now, but <laughs> um, and it doesn't have to be ring. There's lots of these doorbell security systems, you know, something like that that basically documents document everything. everything that mm-hmm. is said and done in that space. Because that will come in that could, you know, save your your case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would absolutely listen there. They're a hundred bucks, you know, and you can. This is not a paid advertisement. It's not. It's really, <laughs> boy, I don't get paid at all for this. But I highly recommend it. I mean, especially in this day and age. But uh, Yeah. Anyway, and, okay. and especially, if, you know, if they don't have a warrant, they were um, suggesting that just let them know. If for some reason, I mean, I I really, I had to think this through because they were talking about, um, tell them that they can call your, call your lawyer. Mm-hmm. I said, like, who on earth, how many people have yeah, how, a lawyer number in their back pocket? Yeah, who has a lawyer? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I know one. Well, actually I know several, but it's not like. I've had to be represented by them by at any well, point. And here's the thing: what we have learned uh, in in our industry, especially, is you don't just call any lawyer. You need an attorney who mm-hmm. specializes in this kind of yeah. thing. So, if well, you, you know what I found, <laughs> and I found that you can actually have attorneys like this who specialize in these things. It's sort of like an insurance program. Really, it is. I mean, you can find all kinds of things on the internet, but not, I mean that was a bunny trail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
But yeah, so so those were the kind of the 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 few things that I learned just watching even these attorneys on YouTube. I mean, and then watching some of these cases. And and some of these cases where these parents, they were said, you know, if I would have done something differently, what would it be? And the number one thing was never to let them the CPS into your home. Yeah, don't ever let them in. Do not let them in your home. You call the police so that the police are there on your behalf. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like I remember when uh and this was before you and I met and I I was home alone at my apartment one night and I was actually sleeping and I heard what, I mean, now I know it was, it sounded like a shotgun blast going off and it sounded like it was in my room, in my bedroom, (laughs) woke me up and, um, and I was up and, you know, looking all around out on the patio, everything, trying to figure out what in the world that was. I didn't, I couldn't see that anything had, you know, was amiss. It was probably 11, 11.30 at night. And then about 20 minutes later, here comes, a you know, a knock on my door. And it's two city cops. And they're standing there and they, and they questioned me about a disturbance. And I said, yeah, I heard something sounded like a shotgun. And had if this would were to happen now the conversation would have been different but i was not thinking that you know there was anything wrong here i'm trying to be helpful to law enforcement right <laughs> and so i said yeah it sounded like a shotgun and the, and then they got real curious and they said how do you know what that sounds like i'm not kidding they asked me that <laughs> and i said i said i know what a shotgun sounds like we need and he said this way he said we need to come in and check your house check your apartment for what? And I and I just I let him in because I'm thinking to myself, I'm not I don't have anything to hide. Yeah. And I and I said, <laughs> okay, fine. And I let him in. And I look back at that and I think, what were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> there were no grounds for them to enter your house. Right. They had no probable cause. No, it was just no. You need to let us in. Oh, okay. And I opened the door for him and I let him in. Well, so many of us would. Right, because we're not. Because we're not adversarial towards law enforcement. Right. I, I knew something bad had happened, and I'm trying to help them. It's the middle of the night, right? Help and, me, Helperton. Right. But <laughs> what have we seen now is that this is a, oh, such yeah. a bad idea. Yeah. You have no reason to... Uh, the, the proper response would have been, no, you don't need to come into my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> no, officer, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Same with, you know, being at home, uh, dealing with CPS. So, no, don't yeah. let them in. So do you have anything else? No, that was it. No, otherwise it gets long. But I'll leave a link and you guys can go through it because it has a great timeline um, laid out here in this in this piece. And um, just to see just to see the child welfare in America and and how it was enacted and where it came from. So, okay, All right. When we come back, we're going to hear some more uh, from Senator Nancy Schaefer. A little bit of update on that. Okay, be right back. Thank you for listening to the Fearless with Mark and Amber podcast. I want to welcome you into an opportunity for you to partner with us to continue our mission. We know there are many ways you can invest in kingdom work, and we would like to invite you to pray about how God is asking you to get involved. We are dealing with the heavy issues that have eternal consequences, and in order for us to get the word out, it basically takes
takes two people in action, the senders and the goers. And we will happily be the goers when it comes to sharing about these issues through a biblical worldview. And we're inviting you to partake with us to see what God might do. And Lord willing, in the end, we'll stand together to see the fruits of the spiritual investment. Share your support at fearlessfeatures.org. Okay, we're back. So this reminded me of, um, you know, speaking of people in the church, the body of Christ, and and trying to think about how you're going to deal with these things. And I think Christians need to really think. Don't just kick it down, kick the can down the road and say, well, whatever the law says, whatever the procedure says. Think about the people that are making the laws. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now here's a question. It's getting more and more wicked every day. Here's here's a mind bender for you, O Christian. This is from Fox News. How long ago was this? Uh, this was just last week. Okay. Well, the the article is just last week. Okay. Uh, Sharon Stone. Uh-huh. You know who she is. Mm-hmm. Actress. Yep. Sharon Stone says she lost custody of her son because of basic instinct. Oh, the movie. The movie. Yeah. Okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know, okay, Basic Instinct was uh, Sharon, basically Sharon Stone's big breakout film. Mm-hmm. It came out in the early 90s. It was rated R. It was actually one of the films. I remember this because I was, you know, a teenager. Mm-hmm. I was, I think I was, I was, I think this was like my senior year. It was 91, 92. Mm-hmm. And I remember this film and the controversy around it was because it was so pornographic. It was supposed to be worse than R. And look at how far you've dropped the bar right. know, by that, by that point. Right, right. <laughs> But anyway, so basic instinct is a it's it's porn. It is a very very filthy film. Sharon Stone's in it, and she has several sex scenes, like full on sex scenes, full on frontal nudity. I mean, it's it's porn. So Sharon Stone said um, that she so she was being interviewed on a podcast, and she's talking about this, and she said the judge asked my child. Do you know your mother makes sex movies? It's kind of a leading question. Yeah. And this was in a custody battle with her ex-husband, Phil Bronstein, in 2004. So this was, this was a long time after. This was 12 years after that film. Um, I mean, and, it would be one thing if it was while it was happening, but you're talking right. about, you know, over a decade later. Right. But anyway, she lost custody. No, it was it was her adopted son, but she lost custody of her son because of having done this film in her past. So do you think that... In her past. In her past. Do you think that that was warranted? I mean, just because she did something like that... Are you asking that, me personally? No! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are, on earth are you thinking... I mean, does it make her? Do you take the prostitutes' children away from them? Right. Does it make her unable now to raise this? Oh my word! She obviously was good enough to be able to adopt this this kid, but now that it's in a uh, a custody battle and it's high profile and it's high profile, right? And so that's that's what it was really all about. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting though, because you know. as Christians, we have to be able to look at things like that and say, okay, but that sin, right, of doing that, yeah, you did that film, but, uh, and that was poor judgment, but does that 
justified. Does that mean that you're unable now to raise a child? Yeah, but but we can't say that the judge was a Christian. No, I'm sure that he. Sure that <laughs> I mean, obviously, it. why on earth are you even? I mean, it's a it's a custody dispute. Yeah. I mean, and and so he said, she said, I wasn't there. I don't know. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, I thought that was interesting and something to ponder. Um, so anyway, back to um, Senator Nancy Schaefer, who we talked about last week, and we heard audio from her. Um, I have I have her report here that she wrote. Incidentally, um, she there was a filmmaker named Bill Bowen who had been working with her to produce a documentary film about the abuse of the CPS system. Mm -hmm. And shortly after Nancy Schaefer was murdered, Bill Bowen died. And -hmm. the film disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I found, and I'll put a link in, I found somewhere what I think is the reconstructed... So he did basically a long, very long, uh, like, pitch film. Oh, it, it's it's almost a, a long half, interview. It's almost a half hour like pitch, like this is what we're gonna do, mm-hmm. um, th- promising that there was going to be a full feature length version of it. Now, um, and I don't know anything about Bill Bowen. He's in the film. He speaks for you know. He basically narrates it. Um, it's it's really long. It's kind of hard to watch because it's it's a little amateurish in, in parts, but and I'm not trying to not trying to pick apart the film. I'm just telling you, you know, if you, you I'll, I'll put the link in and you can look at it. But he documents hundreds, if not thousands, of cases of abuse mm. through CPS. Anyway, uh, he ended up dead. So, um, how long after Nancy Schaefer was killed? Do you know? Uh, it was within a year or two. Oh, I think within a year. So, and he was, he was apparently, you know, he had been working on this film and was getting ready to, uh, to release the full length. I don't, I don't know if he ever finished shooting the full length film, but all that has survived is this short, the short film. Interesting. Yes. Um, so back to Nancy Schaefer's report, um, uh, I'm going to read here. I have come to the conclusion, number one. That poor parents very often are targeted to lose their children because they do not have the wherewithal to hire lawyers and fight the system. Uh, that was that's an, in an abundance on YouTube. Yes. Yes. Um, number two, that all parents are capable of making mistakes, and that making a mistake does not mean your children are to be removed from the home. Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone. Yeah. Um. Number three, that parenting classes, anger management classes, counseling referrals, therapy, and so on are demanded of parents with no compassion by the system, even while the parents are at work and while their children are separated from them. Mm. Uh, This can take months or even years, and it emotionally devastates both children and parents. Um, Number four, caseworkers and social workers are very often guilty of fraud. They withhold and destroy evidence. They fabricate evidence. They seek to terminate parental rights unnecessarily. However, when charges are made against CPS, the charges are ignored. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that the separation of families and the snatching of children is growing as a business because local governments have grown accustomed to having these taxpayer dollars to balance their ever-expanding budgets. Hmm. We've seen that in a case or two. Yes, we have. Uh, Child Protective Services and Juvenile Court can always hide behind a confidentiality clause Mm -hmm. in order to protect their decisions and keep the funds flowing. Right, because family courts, everything is kind of locked down because they're minors. Right. And it's not, like we said last week, there is no trial by jury. Mm -hmm. This is all done by... uh, A judge. A judge. Ah. Uh, next, the Adoption and Safe Families Act, set in motion first in 1974 by Walter Mondale and later in 1997 by President Bill Clinton, offered cash bonuses to the states for every child they adopted out of foster care. In order to receive the adoption incentive bonuses, local child protective services need more children. They must have merchandise, i.e. children, that sells and you must have plenty so the buyer can choose. Some counties, and bear in mind, this is over a decade old. Some counties are known to give a four to $6,000 bonus for each child adopted out to strangers and an additional 2000 for a special needs child. Um, okay, now I'm going to, there's a whole bunch of these again. Uh, we'll put the link to her report. You need to read this. Let's give people some hope. Recommendations. That she gives. Yes. Number one, call for an independent audit of all state child protective services and for a federal congressional hearing on child protective services nationwide. Okay. So this, these are recommendations from Nancy Schaefer. Nancy Schaefer, who. The late Nancy Schaefer. Who looked into this thoroughly. Number two, activate immediate change. Every day that passes means more families and children are subject to being held hostage and their lives destroyed. Number three, abolish the federal and state financial incentives that have turned CPS into a business that separate families for money. Mm-hmm. And that's really what that's it is. That's a big one. Separate families for money. Yep. Number four, grant to parents their rights verbally and in writing. Well, and here, just pause for a second. Mm-hmm. Because what did we see with constantly the fam- the nuclear family is constantly under attack. Right. You have to destroy the nuclear family. Yeah. Number five, mandate a search for family members to be given the opportunity to adopt their own relatives if children need to be removed permanently. Um, Number six, mandate a jury trial where every piece of evidence is presented before permanently removing a child from his or her parents. Yes. Open the family courts, remove the secrecy, allow the press and family members access. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Give parents the opportunity in court to speak and be a part of their children's future. Can you, I can't even imagine people would, it would just be horrendous to hear some of these abuses are are enacted to children and for society to look at it Mm -hmm. and parents to feel shame. Yeah. For what they're doing, mm-hmm. because right now it's all hidden, it's all yeah. secret. Yeah, yeah, it thrives in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Require a warrant or a positive emergency circumstance before removing children from their parents. Uh, Judge Arthur G. Christian, Utah Bar Journal, January 1997, reported that except in emergency circumstances, 
including the need for immediate medical care, require warrants upon affidavits of probable cause before entry upon private property is permitted for the forcible removal of children from their parents. Mm. And number eight, uphold the laws when someone fabricates or presents false evidence. If a parent alleges fraud, hold a hearing with the right to discovery of all evidence made available to parents. Mm-hmm. So, um, sounds like a pretty well can do like list it, of things. It's like I said last week. If you if you if you're in this space and you're wondering, uh, you know how what's a what's a step that you can start working on with legislators in your state? I would I would hone in on. Um, you know, creating a ground, a groundswell of grassroots groundswell of changing your state's laws to require a jury trial Mm -hmm. before a child can be, you know, before parental permanent removal can be revoked. Terminated. Yeah. I guarantee you would filter 95% of these Mm -hmm. easy. Mm hmm. Because this is where the corruption is. This all this money flows because they can just rubber stamp it and just do it, and nobody can stop them. Mm-hmm. And then lives are destroyed. Right. I mean, nobody. Again, nobody. Who follows up with the parents to see how they're doing after their right. children have been removed? Right. Anyone? So, so if you if you watch the if you watch the the short film that Bill Bowen did, and he talks about how many kids he's got, he has a scrolling list of. Kids that died in CPS custody. Ugh. So kids that were taken by Child Protective Services, put with a foster family, and they and they died in foster care. Ugh. Because these foster families are not not always vetted, mm. right? It is what it is. These these kids have, have died. There was there's one woman in there before we go, there's one woman towards the end and she's weeping because she never the, the CPS took her daughter. She never saw her daughter again while she was she was she was trying desperately to regain custody of her daughter. Finds out that her daughter had been put in an abusive foster family and moved to Mexico where she died. She was killed in foster care and CPS didn't even bring her daughter's body back. They let her be buried in Mexico. Unbelievable. And there's a picture of her. She talks about going to Mexico and exhuming her daughter. And there's a picture of her laying there with her daughter just so she could hold her daughter one more time. Oh, it's so sad. It's awful. But um, anyway, we have more cheerful stuff like this to talk about in the next <laughs> couple of weeks. But Way to go. The, we- <laughs> the weaponization of CPS. I'm sorry. Uh. So um i should start the music so we can yeah okay here we go (laughs) that's all the time we have for today you guys thank you so much for tuning in be sure to click the links and follow all those resources and get those articles yourself and thank you so much for joining us we will talk to you again next tuesday have a wonderfully blessed week